I was looking at something during the week and I thought it would be of interest to you. It's very, very serious really, I suppose. Apparently there's a rumour going around that relics of Pope John II are for sale through the internet. And it has been denied by a priest called Monsignor Slowemir Bodar postulator of the pontiff's cause for beatification. They have a very intricate and complicated system of making a new saint and Pope John Paul is on the fast track to becoming a saint. It's very interesting actually because if you ask anybody how long anybody who dies will be in purgatory they can't give you an answer, but yet when it suits them, they can assume that, that, that any person that's in favour will be out of purgatory very quickly. And they must assume that John Paul II has already been to purgatory and is out. It said the relics, the relics have been made available to the public for free. But the selling of religious objects is a sacrilegious act the priest told this magazine in an interview. Monsignor Oder began by saying, I would like to clarify that the distribution of objects or elements from objects belonging to candidates of the altar, to saints or blessed, is an ancient practice in the church and is something that accompanies every process of beatification together with the spreading of the knowledge of the spirituality and the life of the candidate to the altar. Holy cards are distributed explaining how to pray for an intention and to ask for their intercession. That's the intercession of the person who's going to be a saint. At the, at the same this holds true for the process of the servant of God John Paul II. These holy cards contain prayers and pieces of his clerical clothing are distributed by the office of postulation but we are speaking of an entirely free distribution. Then he was asked why is the sale of relics considered sacrilegious? It is a, absolutely a sacrilege. It is something which goes against the tradition of the church and against logic recalling what Jesus said what you have freely received you must also freely give completely out of context but there we are the sale of relics therefore would be offensive to God to the saint or blessed to the candidate to the altar I tell you it would be offensive to God alright I'm not too sure whether it's offensive to the other two but there we go and then he was asked what is a relic Relics are part of the logic of the incarnation of concrete history. They are a sign of the presence of a saint in history. I like the expression, he says, used by Monsignor Marco Frisini, director of the liturgical office of the Vicariate of Rome, in an article we published in our bulletin, Totus Tuus, which follows the process of beatification and in which we have clarified the meaning of relics. When we touch the body of a saint, we touch the temple of the Holy Spirit. 
when we touch an object that belonged to a saint, we touch a monument of the presence of grace and God's mercy in the life of that person. This is how we must view objects called relics. The memories, the things that remain of the light of life of the saint, they are the realities that harken back to the work of grace in the life of the saint. And then he was asked again, so you can give a clear denial of the report of the sale of objects or fragments of objects that belong to John Paul II. The answer was, I am troubled by this and do not understand the reason for this report. A false report, I repeat. The sale of relics would be a sacrilege. We have been distributing holy cards containing pieces of the vestments of the Holy Father, John Paul II, for some time now. People from all over the world have asked for hundreds of these holy cards. It is an activity that accompanies the process of beatification and expresses the great worldwide devotion to John Paul II, a great renown for holiness that accompanies this process. And then the card, the prayer on the card that they send out with a bit of, uh, some way, a bit of cloth or something. A prayer for asking graces through the intercession of the servant of God, the Pope John Paul II. And here's the prayer. O Blessed Trinity, we thank you for having graced the church with John Paul II and for allowing the tenderness of your fatherly care the glory of the cross of Christ and the splendor of the Holy Spirit to shine through him. Trusting fully in your infinite mercy and in the maternal intercession of Mary, he has given us a living image of Jesus the Good Shepherd and has shown us that holiness is the necessary measure of ordinary Christian life and is the way of achieving eternal communion with you. Grant us by his intercession, the intercession of the Pope, and according to your will, the graces we implore, hoping that he will soon be numbered among your saints. Amen. Isn't that fantastic? And, you know, all our, a lot of our Protestant church leaders go along with all this evil, wicked superstition and lies when we join these ecumenical movements. It's a lot, just as an afterthought, why do Protestant cathedrals and churches have lady chapels called after Mary? And why do we call our churches after these so-called saints? I don't know. So there we are. Let's get back to reality. And we read Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verses 6 to 9. Deuteronomy chapter 10 verse 6 And the children of Israel took their journey from Beeroth of the children of Jacob to Mozarah where Aaron died and there he was buried and Eliezer his son ministered in the priest's office in his stead. From whence they journeyed unto Goa, and from Good. Goda to Jobath, a land of rivers of waters. At that time, 
the Lord separated the tribe of Levi to bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord to stand before the Lord to minister unto him and to bless his name unto this day wherefore Levi hath no part nor inheritance with his brethren at the Lord is his inheritance according as the Lord thy God promised him just those a few verses the children of Israel took their journey and made these uh, stops on the way and we have three things there that happened as we said last week these verses are a parenthesis in brackets something inserted and somehow out of sequence chronologically in the narrative that Moses is recalling to all the people gathered before him we saw last week the writing of the second tablets of stone by God and the placing of these by Moses in the Ark of the Covenant the old law had been broken but all the just and holy demands of that law of a righteous and holy God had been met in Jesus who became a curse for us when he died the just for the unjust so that we might be made the righteousness of God in, through and by him and by his redeeming blood for us the law is dead and we now have a new covenant created by Jesus through his blood and by his death the old laws is dead as dead we said as the broken tables lying on the floor at the foot of the mount where Moses broke them you know there's an interesting verse if you look at Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 13 Hebrews 8 and verse 13 in that he saith a new covenant he hath made the first old now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away a new covenant he has made the first old now that which decays and become old is ready to vanish away you see Jesus said this is the new covenant in my blood thus showing that the old one has become obsolete all of it all of it not just part of it and you know you may think I'm laboring this sometimes but it's so important that we realize that the old covenant is gone people try and patch it up that's why Jesus told the parable of the putting new bits onto an old garment people try and patch up the old covenant but we can't because it doesn't work the old covenant is dead we have the new covenant in Jesus Christ Hebrews 9.16 where a covenant is there must of necessity be the death of the one who made it for a covenant is valid only when men are dead for it is never enforced while the one who made it lives if I make my will that will only becomes operative when I die this new covenant came into force at the death of our saviour and we read that he is the mediator of the new covenant 
all the ordinances and practices and those things to do with the old covenant were displaced those fleshly things that were done by people of the old testament were a foreshadow of the new covenant and they're no more why? because the shadow has gone because the reality has come when we have the reality we don't need the shadows if I show you an advertisement for an ice cream and then I offer you the ice cream in reality you're not interested in the picture because you have the reality very poor example but that is what these were shadows of what the Lord Jesus Christ would do when he came but he has come so the shadows have gone let's look at Joshua chapter 5 it came to pass when all the kings of the Amorites which were on the side of Jordan westward and all the kings of the Canaanites which were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of Jordan from before the children of Israel until we were passed over that the hearts melted neither was their spirit in them anymore because of the children of Israel they had crossed the Jordan Moses was dead Joshua had led them across the Jordan the miraculous crossing of the Jordan had been undertaken and had created great fear amongst all the peoples of Canaan so that their hearts melted and this was God's work it was he who was preparing the way for Israel's victorious conquest into the land of promise they had made it into the promised land now under normal circumstances under normal military strategy it would have dictated that Israel should immediately strike while the advantage was on their side everybody was afraid of them surely we should go straight in and attack but the Lord did not allow this he knew that Israel needed preparation of a different sort than men would advise and you know for, for each one of us if we're going to, to teach or to explain things to people on God's behalf we must first learn to judge ourselves when Israel had come out of Egypt they had come out as a redeemed nation and they have come out as a circumcised nation all in accordance with God's will but during the 40 years wandering in the wilderness nothing like this had taken place and so God had in his wisdom decided that Joshua should arrange for a mass circumcision of all those who had not been circumcised before they entered the promised land now the meaning the spiritual meaning of circumcision is told to us in Philippians 3 verse 3 it says we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh it's a picture of getting rid of all that is fleshly in our lives and that's the picture we have here 
in Joshua. This is the picture we have of the nation having to get rid of all the things that they had brought with them to get rid of all Egypt, anything like that, out of their lives. The cutting off of the flesh is imperative if we are to engage in any warfare for God. We have to get rid of all that is of self, all that is earthy, all that is fleshly in our lives. We must learn to judge the sin in our own hearts or we cannot hope to influence others and explain and teach others. The old hymn we used to sing, Stand up, stand up for Jesus. Stand in his strength alone. The arm of flesh will fail you. Ye dare not trust your own. And the Lord's words to Joshua at that particular time, he said in verse 9 of that passage, you can read the whole passage, we haven't time to read it all, but read Joshua 5 when you go home. But it says, This day have I rolled away the reproach of Egypt. Gilgal, where they were meeting at this particular time, means rolling away. They were rolling away the reproach of Egypt. All that was to do with the sinful nature, all that was to do with doing things for themselves, rolled away. They were going on with God in his will. Egypt is typical or speaks to us of the world which has kept believers in bondage. But the bondage was broken that day at Gilgal. They were going on renewed in spirit. Yet to enter into the truth of this in practice requires for each one of us to apply the death sentence to anything which is not spiritual in our lives. Personally, we have to get rid of all that is fleshly, all that is of the world. And when this death sentence is made vital and personal to me, as symbolized in Philippines as circumcision, putting to death the old man, putting to death my deeds of the flesh which I seek to do to work my way to heaven. My sinful nature has to be put to death. I realize that I am not only in principle but in practice dead to the world. I tell the story of the old chap I met a while back, you know, years ago in Ballymoney. And I said, oh John, I, I, I didn't see you there. I was dead to the world. And he said, and alive unto righteousness. And that's true. We should be dead to the world and treat ourselves as being alive unto the righteousness of God. There's a verse in Romans 6.11. It says, Likewise, reckon, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead, indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Reckon yourselves 
to be dead unto sin. Now the word used there means that we're dealing with something of a reality. If I reckon that my bank book has £25 in it, it has £25 in it. There's no doubt about it. It's a reality. That's what it means. Otherwise I'm deceiving myself. This word refers to facts, not something I suppose. So what Paul is saying here in Romans, you are to treat it as a fact that you are to be dead to sin. The reproach of Egypt is thus rolled away. It is final, definite separation from all that is of Egypt, the world. And that's what Christ wants my life to be like and your life to be like. A total separation of all that is worldly. Stand up, stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. Lift high as royal banner, it must not suffer loss. From victory unto victory, his army shall he lead. Till every foe is vanquished, and Christ is Lord indeed. We saw last week how the old law had been written on tablets of stone. But now look at 2 Corinthians 3 verse 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 3. We read it from the New American Standard Version. Being manifested that you are a letter of Christ. Paul writing to the Corinthians. Now the Corinthians were not, you would have thought, the ideal church. They had a lot of problems. But Paul nevertheless wrote to them and he said, being manifested that you are a letter of Christ, cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Very interesting. See, man has a hard heart. Israel had a heart of stone. But God said of Israel in Ezekiel, And I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit within you. And I will take away the heart, the stony heart, out of your flesh. And I will give you a heart of flesh. You're going to take away their stony heart. Someday Israel's heart will be softened, and they will turn to their Messiah. Paul says of the Corinthian Christians that God has, through his Spirit, written, not upon tables of stone as of old, but upon their softened heart. Are our hearts softened by the call of God? And as we look at our Saviour, are we ready to do the desires of his heart in our lives and make his desires our desires are his thoughts and wishes written on the tables of my heart the old covenant brought death but the new covenant brings life we go on to that passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 it says now the spirit giveth light now the Lord is the spirit 
And we as Christians have the Spirit of the Lord dwelling within us. The Spirit of our glorious Saviour who is the mediator of the new covenant. That's what we looked about last week. I just thought I'd add those few extra little bits about the tablets and the, the Lord writing his thoughts upon our hearts. Now let's look at these verses we read this morning in chapters 10 verses 6 to 9. We have here the death of Aaron. Eliezer his son replacing him and the tribe of Levi separated to minister to God. The three main things in these verses and we'll have a quick look at them this morning. Aaron died. He died because of the disobedience of Moses and Aaron at Moradah. Uh, let's go over to, to Numbers. We'll go back to Numbers chapter 20 and verse 12. And the Lord spake unto Moses and, and Aaron, Because ye believed me not, to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, Therefore ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. This is the water of Meribah. Because the children of Israel strove with the Lord and he was sanctified in them. Moses and Aaron had sinned. Moses instead of speaking to the rock had struck the rock and God was displeased and the Lord said because ye believed me not to sanctify me in front of the people to uphold the holiness of God to obey the word of God in front of the people and the sentence was very harsh a sentence for disobedience how sad for these two brothers who had done so much. They had gone before Pharaoh. They had gone again and again to Pharaoh. They had been responsible for bringing the people out of bondage. But the sentence for disobedience was that they wouldn't bring the people into the promised land. How sad. And Aaron's disobedience shown as a reminder to the people here by Moses as the reasons for God's displeasure and judgment making the people again realize their dependence totally upon God and then you know further on in that chapter there's a very very sad situation let's look at verse numbers 20 and verse 24 Aaron shall be gathered to his people for he shall not enter into the land which I have given to the sons of Israel because you rebelled against my word at the waters of strife take Aaron and Eliezer his son and bring them up to Mount Hor and strip Aaron of his garments and put them 
on Eliezer, his son. And Aaron shall be gathered to his people and shall die there. And Moses did as the Lord commanded and they went up into the Mount Hor in the sight of all the congregation. Can you imagine them? Three men disappearing up the mountain and all the congregation out watching them going up the hill going in through the clouds and Moses stripped Aaron of his garments and put them upon Eliezer his son and Aaron died there in the top of the mount and Moses and Eliezer came down from the mountain can you imagine suddenly they appear again where's Aaron he's dead And when all the congregation saw that Aaron was dead, they mourned for Aaron thirty days, all the house of Israel. Another vivid view to us of the failure of the old covenant. The high priest was dead. And if you look at Hebrews, I'll just read a passage from Hebrews. It's uh, Hebrews Hebrews 7 and I read it in the modern translation for the law made nothing perfect and on the other hand there is a bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God that's the new covenant for inasmuch as it was not without an oath for they indeed became priests the old priests became priests without an oath but he with an oath through the one who said to him the Lord has sworn and he will not change his mind you are a priest forever God speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ so much more also Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant the former priests all the old high priests on the one hand existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing but Jesus on the other hand because he continues forever holds his priesthood permanently therefore he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them for it was fitting for us to have such a high priest holy, innocent undefiled separate from sinners and exalted above the heavens who does not need daily like the, those high priests like Aaron and Eliezer and all the rest to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people because this he did once for all when he offered up himself for the law appoints men as high priests who are weak but by the word of the oath which came after the law appoints a son the Lord Jesus Christ made perfect forever the old law failed because the priest died he was human he had to offer sacrifices for himself and then for the people 
And again and again and again the sacrifice had to be made. But the new covenant in Jesus Christ, he offered himself once for all. And he is a permanent mediator between God and man. It's a wonderful thing, this new covenant. And so we have on one side there, in these few verses, we have the, the passage here that Aaron, because of disobedience, he died. And then it goes on to say, back to Deuteronomy 10, that Levi, Levi, wherefore Levi hath no part of inheritance of his brethren, the Lord is his, is his inheritance, according as the Lord thy God promised him. What about Levi? Who was this Levi? Levi, the tribe of Levi were separated from the rest of all the other tribes by God to serve him and to honour him we get a good picture of Levi if you look at Malachi the last book of the Old Testament Malachi sorry for jumping around a bit today but if you go to Malachi the, the last book of the Old Testament chapter 2 it gives us a lovely picture of this man Levi verse 4 I have to move on quickly. And you shall know that I have sent this command to you to be my covenant with Levi, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was life and peace, and I gave them to him for fear, and he feared me, and he is awed before my name. The law of truth was in his mouth, and iniquity was not found in his lips. He talked with me in peace and uprightness and turned away many from iniquity. What a wonderful man this man Levi was. And this tribe then, this tribe eventually was separated for the service of God. Let's look quickly through these things because I'm running out of time. Look how Levi was rewarded by God for his obedience. And this must have been a great lesson. And although it seems to be out of sync here, and not in chronological order, God was showing that the death of Abraham for disobedience and the separation of the tribe of Levi for obedience. The contrast was, was so plain and clear. God's covenant with, with him was one of life and peace. We have a covenant with the Lord Jesus. He has given us life. And he says, my peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. The covenant was one of life and peace. Levi revered God. He stood in awe before God. He stood in awe before God. Oh, we've lost that reverence for God. People today don't stand in awe of God. We stand before a holy God. Let us always remember that. Levi did. Stood before God in reverence and awe. Next thing he did. He was a man who spoke the truth. He was a man who spoke the truth. Verse 6. The law of truth was in his mouth. How difficult. We're just saying that 
were chatting there earlier, how difficult it is to find people who speak the truth. We have our politicians, people won't believe them anymore because they don't speak the truth. They might speak the, the truth some of the time, but not all of the time. And not all of the truth all of the time. So, Levi was a man who spoke the truth. The law of truth was in his mouth. How difficult to find an honest man. He was a man who steered totally clear of unrighteousness, unrighteous words and thoughts. Iniquity was not found in his lips. He walked in peace and righteousness with God. That's a wonderful thing for him to be able to say about somebody. God said here of Levi, He walked with me in peace and righteousness and equity. He was fair in everything he did. He wasn't biased. He walked in peace. Have we got peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ? Do we walk with him in peace and equity and righteousness? And here is a wonderful thing that God said about this man. He did turn many away from iniquity. Because of this man's word, people believed him. Because of the way he lived and walked with God, what was the effect? People were affected by his life. And they turned away from iniquity. We want men and women like Levi today. Or that we, each one, would be like Levi. That by our lives, by our actions, by what we say and by what we do, people will turn back from iniquity and start following the Lord Jesus Christ as their, as their Saviour and Lord. It's no wonder that he pleased God. And God chose him for an important work in that whole congregation of Israel. And he fulfilled that work for God. And we shall continue next week to see what he actually did and what their duties were of the tribe of Levi. But Herod must have spoken to the children of Israel when they saw the contrast in the lives of Aaron on the one hand whose life was taken away because of disobedience and how because of obedience because of their walk with God because of the truthfulness of their lives because they walked with God in peace and equity God honoured that and if we walk in peace with God day by day he will honour us May we do so for his name's sake. Amen.